0: You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to The Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Ben is number one on Medium, best-selling author of The Willpower Doesn't Work, which was his first book, 400-plus five-star reviews on Amazon, and has a new book coming out here soon called Personality Isn't Permanent. Great book. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I'm really grateful to be with you, Chip. Now, should I call you Dr. Hardy? Because I know that you know, my brother, I told you, is a PhD, and and he's really serious about that. I'm not. Call me Ben. All right. Ben, tell us a little bit about, for those who haven't had a chance to read your first book, tell us a little bit about you and how you got here. You have an amazing story, and I'd love for you to share it with people.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, I come from an interesting background. Uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Really, the story kind of starts when I was... 11 years old, my parents got divorced, and it just threw both of them in very different directions. You know, as an 11-year-old kid, I was the oldest of three boys, and it was just interesting to be a part of that. But my father ended up becoming an extreme drug addict all through my junior high and high school years. I mean, I won't go into too much. I mean, I actually do go into it in both of the books, and I'm totally happy to share, it. but just to kind of give a quick snapshot for this first question, I ended up actually serving a church mission at age 20, and that just totally changed my life totally opened me up. I was able to let go of a lot of the trauma and the baggage from my past, learned how to journal, learned how to write, did a lot of community service, just learned a lot and let go of a lot of stuff that was going on from my past. And ultimately, that led me to studying psychology. And I had a PhD in Clemson, pretty close over there to Chip. Go Tigers. So I was in South Carolina for five years. And while we were there, we actually adopted three kids from the foster system, which was an amazing experience. And it was while I was actually in Clemson that I started writing online started blogging, was able to grow on Medium, wrote Willpower Doesn't Work, actually, while I was in Clemson. And then when we adopted the kids, my wife got pregnant with twins and we moved down here to Orlando because she's a Disney buff. And now we live here in Orlando and I'm still writing books. And now we've got five kids and we're chilling in the COVID-19 situation. But uh, yeah, that's kind of a really high-level snapshot of how I got here.
0: Well, and I remember reading in your first book the story of you ending up with five kids all in one year was just, uh, I remember I was on the beach in Costa Rica, which is, if you ever wondered if Willpower Doesn't Work made it that far, I can tell you it, it made it at least that far. It's funny how memory
1: works, right? Very based on locations.
0: It really is. And my jaw dropped and it's kind of like, first off, just the fostering kids. I have some friends who've done that and I think that's an amazing sacrifice. But then on top of that to Adopt them, and then get a bonus of of two more is is a pretty. Your wife's a strong woman.
1: She is. She is. You know, anything good you see about me in my life is because there's an insane anchor
0: to all of this. Amen. So, in your new book, you talk about kind of the ability to change your future and and have it be different than your past. But you started by talking about the different kind of the personality tests. Now, as financial advisors, our listeners have probably taken just about all of them. And so for me, I remember when I first started this book, I can almost quote like all of my numbers and strengths finder and all those things. And one of the things that you kind of touch on is the importance of not necessarily identifying with those. Tell me a little bit about the personality tests in general and how they might actually be harmful for us?
1: They definitely are. There's a reason people love them and businesses use them. They can maybe give a quick snapshot, but that snapshot doesn't necessarily mean it's an accurate snapshot or an accurate snapshot in all situations. People are a lot more complex than a snapshot and they're a lot more complex than a single score. But when I was in my PhD in psychology, you know, one of the big aspects of getting a PhD and being a scientist is developing tests and, and using those tests to get information. And if it's a bad test, you know, if it's good science, it means it's a, a reliable, valid test. Valid, meaning you're studying what you say you're gonna study, but reliable, meaning you get consistent results. And obviously with these tests, you're not gonna get consistent results. I mean, there, the research shows you're gonna get different scores over time. Your personality does change over time. You know, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago as you are today. And in the future, you're going to be a different person as well. And so what these tests do is is they actually do give people a sense of identity. and that's actually why people like them. For example, the color code, which is a test that I took back in the day, and I actually tell the story about how it almost ended my potential to getting married with my wife. But you know, I scored as a white on that test. And so if that was how I saw myself, then I could use that as my identity to explain to people, "Well, I'm a white according to the color code, and what that means is x, y and Z. And and we really need an identity as people. Like an identity is based on how you explain yourself, how you see yourself. And so these tests can give you a way of seeing and explaining yourself to others so that not only do you have a concept of yourself, but you can share that concept and you know relate with others. So people want and need that. There's actually a far better way to form your identity than using these personality tests. And I would say if you're someone who's done a lot of journaling and a lot of good work as far as dealing with former traumas and stuff, and if you've been a goal-oriented, future-focused person in the past, then you've probably got enough self-awareness that you're not going to get an enormous amount out of these tests. Like when I've recently taken StrengthsFinder, et cetera, like there was nothing that the test gave me that I didn't already know. Because I'd been developing the strengths that the test told me I had, I'd been developing them for several years on purpose. And so the baggage of these tests, there's a few kind of crucial baggages. One is mindlessness. So there's a lot of research out of Harvard and Ellen Langer studied mindfulness for a lot of years. Mindfulness is basically your awareness of context, your awareness of yourself, your awareness of the situation. You can't be adaptive without mindfulness. If you're just unaware, you don't want that. And having labels is one of the biggest ways to become mindless. So like she studied people who identify themselves as depressed. And when you see yourself as depressed, you think you're always depressed. You think it's just always true. We call it selective attention in psychology. You know, you see what matters to you. Yeah, I mean, the label can lead you to thinking you're one way when in reality, a lot of the time, you're actually not that way. In certain situations, you may be happy. You know, and so when you take a label and you think you're an introvert as an example, you're going to downplay the situations when you're actually being quite social. <laughs> and as people were a lot more contextual than that. And so they can lead you to being mindless, but more than anything, what they do is, is they lead you to trying to confirm your current identity. Over and over and over again, you really try to solidify and confirm your current and your former identity. And that stops you from pursuing a future identity. And it's really important for decision-making and obviously from a financial standpoint. Right now you have current preferences. And actually in the past, you had former preferences. Your preferences right now, your priorities, your goals are probably different from what they used to be. But your future self is the same way. Your future self has different preferences and priorities and perspectives than you have right now. And Hal Hirschfeld, who's at UCLA, he's found that it's you can't make good decisions today if you don't know who your future self is tomorrow. Like if you don't know who you wanna be in the future, then it really doesn't matter what you do today. And I think this is why financial planning, honestly, and, you know, just as a plug, is really key. is because you're literally shaping a future situation and a future self. And you can use that as the benchmark for what you do today. And so rather than overly owning your current identity, it's actually a lot more powerful to frame out who you want to be and using that as the benchmark for who you are today.
0: So do you find that folks have a hard time doing that? Because I, I can think of... When you said selective attention, I think of that example that when you buy a white car, all of a sudden you see all the white cars, right? You, you just start to, if we buy into the, so I'm, I'm a nine quick start on the Colby Yep. that's any more, that's primary one. I would even identify as you and I both were in strategic coach. And if Dan Sullivan says it, it must be true. And so, um, but you know, but I have used that many times as an excuse for why I do the things that I do, because I identify as, and and all of a sudden it becomes who you've bought into who you are.
1: Yes. So when you have a big label like that, you become very non-flexible and you have a fixed mindset towards anything outside of that label. But also, you know, speaking of Dan, here's how I see it. I believe that Dan chose the identity of a 10 quick start. I'm sure it bent that way anyways, but I'm sure he chose that as his full persona and he built his life and his business around that identity. Now he probably doesn't display a 10 quick start in every area of his life. If you saw him at home and he was just chilling, you wouldn't immediately just be able to say there's a 10 quick start because that persona and that identity is built around his himself as an entrepreneur. And, and Dan Sullivan is, that's kind of his full identity. He's got other aspects of his identity, but he doesn't have kids. And so like that is his primary identity. And so that's how he sees himself. It's true, though, that he's probably not a 10 quick start in all areas of his life. If you saw him in different contexts and situations and roles, he probably wouldn't display that. But because entrepreneur is such a big aspect of his identity, he thinks he's a quick start all the time.
0: So instead, it would be helpful for us, not only as advisors, you know, for ourselves, but also in our work, instead to really kind of pick who it is that we want to be, the qualities that we want to, that future self that you talked about, and and work towards that. I mean, how do you do that? What's the process look like?
1: Well, what they say the number one deathbed regret is that people didn't have the courage to be who they wanted to be. Instead, that they lived up to the expectations of those around them. It's very easy to just be who you've been because it's your comfort zone. Your personality is very much your comfort zone. To do anything outside of your comfort zone would be to act different from your current self, right? I think in defining yourself, you you define yourself in all the key roles of your life. As a business owner, as a father, as a husband, you know, however you describe yourself, in each of those situations, you're actually a different person. And so you just want to define who you want to be. We all want to be someone, you know, as they say, the deathbed regret is that you didn't have the courage to be who you wanted to be. So I think... It's really easy to just be who you've been, to be in a status, as Dan would say, to be stuck in a status. I think Dan also says all progress starts by telling the truth. And so I think that really thinking about your life based on your values, your beliefs, but also just thinking about yourself, who do you really want to be? It might not be that you have to change careers. It might just be that you're elevated in your career. You know, you're better at, you know, for you helping people since you really love helping people. Like, what specifically does that look like for you to help people better? in your other areas of your life, you know, whether that be your faith or your family, what does that look like? I mean, you know, one of the things that Daniel Gilbert says, he's a Harvard psychologist. He says, human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. And so if you think that who you are today is the finished product, and if you've overly defined yourself, then you don't have room to grow. There's no reason to grow. God can't do anything with you, I guess. I don't know. But like, you can define the attributes, the changes that you want to make. And that doesn't mean you have full-on 180 pivot from who you are today. It's just defining the changes that you want in the key areas of your life and even in your circumstances. I mean, as someone who wants to make money and who wants to improve their financial freedom in the future, those people need to have to actually have a wealth vision, wouldn't you agree? Like they need to have a vision of themselves with more money. And that vision actually is what shapes the process. The vision determines the process and the plan. And so... Once you actually have defined who you want to be in the areas of your life, including your finances, maybe your health and your faith or whatever other areas, you then need to start using that as the benchmark for what you do today. And actually, that's very similar to what Dan teaches.
0: Sure. And I think that one of the primary roles of a financial advisor is to be the arbiter on behalf of the future self. You know, I usually tell folks. My financial advisor is. Well, and it's a, look, I'm advocating for your future self. You can overrule me, but you have to understand that once you've told me what it is that you want, as we're talking about, whether it's your portfolio or any planning-based decision is that I stand on the side. It's always a negotiation, whether you're talking about your work or your money or any of these other things, it's always a negotiation between your current self and your future self. And so I think as financial advisors, in my opinion, one of our biggest jobs is to stand on the side of the future self and to try to talk people in their current selves into doing the things that are going to get them where it is that they want to be. But for a lot of people, the hardest part is coming to terms with who we are right now, right? If all progress starts with telling the truth, one of the first things we have to I guess, probably get comfortable with in my mind is where we are today. You know, One of the things that you touched on in the book was how past traumas have shaped some of that. What role does trauma play in impact in your personality and how does that play into your future?
1: Let me first, just before I jump into that, which I immediately will, I wanted to say that the reason I have a financial advisor And I'm really grateful for that, is the same reason. And I think that we can have other advisors or mentors or supports that support your future self, because often your current self will work against your future self. And so, part of obviously getting committed to a future self is building an environment around that to invest in it. You know, it's an investment to have a financial advisor, it's an investment to have mentors, it's an investment maybe to have a personal trainer. It's really powerful to have key people in your life that help you make decisions that are better for your future self. It's nice to have the support and to build that environment around your future self. I mean, that's freaking powerful. And so to me, as someone who's committed to a bigger future, I think it's essential to do what you're describing, to have people that can sometimes be a check and say, hey, look, this might be a bad decision and help you make better decisions than you would otherwise. As far as how you got to where you are, I do think that, yeah, your current self is definitely often based on past events. Definitely. And so I'll, I'll tell a quick story and explain how trauma works and how it can shape you because we've all been shaped by negative events in the past. And what negative events can do if you don't reframe them is, is they can limit your future. So actually, some of your listeners probably have heard of the book or read the book Man's Search for Meaning for by sure. Viktor Frankl. That book is really important because Viktor Frankl explains that we shape the meaning of our experiences. You know, he was in a German concentration camp. He could have viewed the experience as a victim, but instead he really sought greater meaning from the experience. Not only did it allow him to survive, but it allowed him to thrive in that environment, right? So you get to choose your meaning in any situation. That's why that book is so powerful is because in a concentration camp, this person could find joy. And as people, the meaning we give to the events in our lives, both our former experiences and also even our current experiences, determine a lot about ourselves. And so trauma is a meaning. Something happened to you and you'd created a sense of meaning and what it meant to you. And that meaning is now shaping how you see yourself. And meaning is something you can change. You can change the meaning of former events. So I'll tell a story of someone I know. And it's a story I tell in the book, actually. This is a distant relative of mine. And she is a very intelligent person. She's now in her late 80s, going on 90s. But she went to Stanford. She went to Cornell. She was like an English major or whatnot. She's really a great writer. And she always wanted to write children's books and illustrate them. And anyways, literally like 40, 50 years ago, like probably 40 years ago when she was in her 40s, she took a private art class. She had some kids and stuff like that. And she took a private art lesson. And in that private art lesson, there was a handful of other people in the room. And the teacher on one of the exercises was like crossing out her easel pad and like was correcting her in front of the other students. And this was very embarrassing for distant relative. There was a small class and like, she thought it was inappropriate that she was getting corrected in front of the class. But in the moment when he was correcting her, she was so embarrassed that everyone was watching and stuff that it was emotional, you know? And so obviously trauma happens in negative experiences, but in that experience, she had an idea that came to her mind. We call it a cognitive commitment in psychology, but the idea when her teacher was correcting her was this, I'm not good at this. She was so embarrassed and everyone was watching and she just didn't like being corrected. And then the idea popped in her head, I'm not good at this. And so she never went back to classes. She never drew any of the books. 40 years later, she still says that she would love and wishes that she could create children's books, but she genuinely doesn't believe that she's good at drawing. And so, therefore, she can't do that. And so, that's an example of how a negative event turns into a meaning and how that meaning can shape your identity. And also, it can create what's called a fixed mindset. So, basically, when trauma occurs, and obviously, trauma can happen in bigger ways, you know, you can be in an abusive marriage, you can get there can be crazy things happen. But in any case, you're shaped by the meaning of how you frame a negative experience. And so trauma by nature is you're defined by the past. And that can limit your future. And so the only way out of that is to obviously reframe the meaning of it and to choose to see it from a more positive perspective or a different perspective. And ultimately, the goal is to focus back on the future and focus on your future self rather than being so defined by
0: the past. It seems to me there's power in the notion that we can go back to past events and choose now, because our current self is different than our past self, Yeah.
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I think we've all done that. We've all looked at former experiences differently. I mean, I remember when I was an 11 year old kid, my parents got divorced. I remember for the first time seeing my mom kiss another man, freaked me out. You know, I was just like, I was an 11 year old kid, and I was like very protective of my mom. That guy ended up becoming a very good friend of mine for years, and we still have a great relationship. It's interesting now, me thinking about how defensive I was, you know, and like, I don't see that situation the same way anymore. You know, it's like, you can choose to reshape the meaning of former experiences without
0: question, and you should. Well, particularly as we're trying to help people with money, right? Because a lot of people, money is- They've got some serious baggage, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's not the most important thing, but it's right up there with breathing, right? I for a lot of I is people. very important. And so, for a lot of people, they have some sort of family association, whether they identify with one parent or the other or their circumstances, it can shape a lot of how you view money, how you spend or save money. And it seems to me like that could be a really powerful concept. Again, I'm a big focus on the future person, but I do think that to some extent in our line of work, one of the first steps in that is understanding how tangled up you are in the past. And so I think it's essential. How would a financial advisor, if we're trying to take a look at this in a way that we can help clients, mm-hmm. how would you suggest we first kind of deconstruct those old money thoughts or patterns to do that in a way that then we can refocus on that future self? I think there are two different processes, detangling one and then choosing who you want to be. How would you they're suggest- They're different but connected.
1: They're, they're very connected because- You know, if someone says that they would like to improve their financial life, you know, they're now talking about their future self, then you can say, well, all right, if that's the case, then let's look at how things have been going in the past, right? You've been overspending, you know, so you can use the future as a reference to the past and say, these are the things that are evidence from your past. You know, if you continue going along the way you're going, then you're never going to reach this future self. And if you're serious about this future self, we got to get honest about what's been going on in the past. I think what you can do is you can help people to think about, I mean, I think it's good to help people understand where they developed their habits or their beliefs, you know, like helping people see, oh, this is why I see money this way. My parents were this way, or I had these experiences. I think thinking about the context of people's former situations and also the key events of what led them to seeing money or acting towards money the way they did, you know, and then asking them the key questions. You, know, you don't need to judge your former self or situation. You don't need to rudely judge your parents for the beliefs they gave you. They came from a different situation. But based on your goals, you know, I think then helping people realize like, is this how you want to see money? Is this how you want to deal with money? Is this a situation you want to continually be in? And I think being able to help look at the past from a different perspective. Your former self isn't who you are today based on what you know now and based on what we want to do in the future, how can we better look at the past? How can we use this as information? The past should be viewed as information that you can use so that you can make better decisions in the future. It's great. It's a great wealth of information. Problem is when it's emotion, when you're still tangled up in the emotions of it. So I think looking at the past from different perspectives, if you want to achieve financial abundance, how would that version of you do things differently than what you did in the past? And I think just looking at the past, not as this is who you are and this is how you see things, but this is how you did things in the past. And if you want to continue down that road, I don't know, what are your thoughts on all this?
0: I think that you're right. I don't know that we want to dwell in the past.
1: I spend less time on the past. you know. Uh, but, but I think it's good to see where they came from and to say, this is not who I want to be anymore.
0: But I think that for some people to get where they want to be in the future requires big change. And that's scary. It is. Right? And it's huge. You've done a lot of research on how to create positive change in your life. What are some of the best ways for us to promote in ourselves or in our clients radical change? If we decide we want to be radically different, what's the process look like for doing something like that?
1: First step is defining your future self, to be honest with you. Radical change hopefully is in a desired direction. And so the first step would be defining your future self and circumstances that would become the North star to your current identity. So you would define your future self and then you would actually start telling people in your life and in your environment about your future self, about who you want to be. This would be, you're telling the crucial and probably most of the people in your life. And even just, it becomes your new narrative that this is not who you are today, but this is who you want to be. You wanna be someone who's a millionaire or you wanna be someone who's financially free. And you start using that as your new story so that people in your environment are more clear on where you're going. And you can also then be more held accountable to that. I would say the next step after you've defined your future self and you begin telling people about it is, is that you need to start investing in your future identity, investing money. You know, that could be in the form of hiring a financial advisor. For me, buying an online course that taught me how to be a writer. You need to actually start investing money into that goal. You know, you need to start focusing on that. There's a lot of research about the idea that when you invest money into something, you become far more committed to it. You have more skin in the game. You start to identify with it. So you're now telling people about who you want to be. You're now investing money into it and you're starting to get support and education around it. I mean, that's really big. You've got to obviously remove the influences that would stop you from that. And that's part of telling the truth is that if you're serious about this future self, which you're now telling people about, I think you could also talk openly and honestly. And this is, it, it doesn't take humility to overly define your current self. It doesn't take humility to say, I'm a 10 quick start. It takes humility to say, this is who I wanna be and I'm not there yet. And part of that humility is recognizing that there's aspects of your current self that you're gonna have to stop doing if you're serious about your future self. And so part of telling people where you wanna go is also openly admitting, well, I think with humility, but also it removes ego from the equation. Look, these are the things that I've been doing that have been keeping me where I'm at. And these are the things I'm gonna be trying to stop if you want to support me, that'd be great, but I'm going to be seeking support on that. And I think we do need support. We need to, from an addiction standpoint, you need support to overcome an addiction. And in a lot of ways, your current identity and your current habits to many degrees could be viewed as addiction. And you need support from people in your environment to help you make the changes you want. And so I think in being open and honest about where you're trying to go and open and honest about your goals, and also investing in people like a financial advisor as one example to support your goals. You also need to just be open and honest that you need support from other areas. You know, and if there's people who don't want to support your future self, they're very committed to your former self, you know, those are the people that you probably need to separate yourself with to some degree, at least for a time while you're trying to commit to that. Otherwise, you're going to keep getting stuck. Uh, from an addiction standpoint, that's just the case. You got to stay away from the environments and the people who will try to keep you in your addiction. And so you need to move forward towards your future self and then obviously build an environment around that. I mean, I could go into that further. But by making steps towards your future self and by telling people about it, you actually start to upgrade your subconscious. You begin to believe it deeper. Every action you take in a deliberate direction actually sends a very powerful signal to your subconscious that this is the person you're becoming. So steps on a daily basis will get you there. I mean, I think daily journaling about your future self and then thinking about daily, how can I make steps towards my future self? Most people are living what we would call reactively or non-consciously. They're kind of just being who they were yesterday. They are living to the roles and the norms of their environment. But if you take time every morning to journal about, think about your future self, and this doesn't mean you have to journal for hours. It means maybe a a page of bullet points about who you're trying to be and what you need to do today. Every time you take conscious, proactive steps towards your future self, you're literally being driven by your future rather than dictated by your past. There's other things you could do in your environment, but those are some of the bigs.
0: Well, and I would think that For most people, at least uh, let me speak for me rather than trying to speak for other people. The scariest part of change is that first step you said where you're telling other people. That's one of the biggest aspects of change. I think that that's the most crucial because it's humble. It's humble. We all have this inflated perception of ourselves. Like people care what it is that we, you know, when I quit drinking, I was so worried to go to social events because people were going to wonder why it is that. Yeah, you know, why
1: we have a really strong need as people to be seen as consistent,
0: and it's kind of like you know what people don't really care what you do that much, and so I think that we can get really tied up in that. And one of the things that was powerful for me, and I don't remember if it was in your first book or this new one that's coming out, but you talked about telling people that you were an author, and so when I first started wanting to write a book, it seemed scary. To tell people, oh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm writing a book or I want to write a book. This bigger, better future. I think one of the biggest things we have to get over, whether that's being an author, being a million dollar producer, bringing in X amount of new client assets next year. The first part is getting over the fear of telling other people that that's what our goal is.
1: You build amazing confidence when you start telling more and more people, you obviously start to believe it. You know, you being in South Carolina, I did my PhD at Clemson, big Clemson football fan. One of the things I loved watching this last year was Joe Burrow. Obviously, I didn't love watching him beat Clemson in the national championship, but everyone was blown away by this guy's confidence because he was like so committed to his future. And like, it was so obvious to him that they were gonna win. And he would just tell people and people are like, are you scared just to speak so boldly that you're gonna win? He's like, no. I think it's powerful when you just start telling people about your future self and you start telling people where you wanna go. Yes, it's scary in the beginning. It really clarifies your identity because we're talking about the person you want to be. And obviously, if you want to be something, but you're hiding who you want to be, and you're just living up to who you want to be, you're essentially kind of living in an internal conflict. And that's where you have that deathbed regret. And so when you just start telling people about who you want to be, it really allows you to say, yeah, this is who I want to be. And this is where I'm going. It gives you some direction, which really increases your motivation. It gives you a sense of internal congruence, which is identity. I think it's powerful. And as you grow in confidence, you'll start telling people about big stuff you're trying in advance, and you won't be as worried. You know, sometimes you'll fail, sometimes you'll succeed, but it's really powerful and it's a strong, important tool. I think it's a tool for people who want to be flexible, who don't want to be defined by the path. It's also a tool for people who are humble enough to say, I'm not there yet and I don't have all the answers. My future self's not me. I think it can be arrogance to say this is who I am and not feel the need to
0: change. Being conscious of time, Ben, uh, I think that's a great place for us to put a pin in it. One last question. We're an action-oriented podcast. If folks wanted to take one step today towards making these changes, looking at things differently, what one thing would you suggest, and you've mentioned a handful of good ones, that people do as a first step today to begin kind of on this path?
1: Pull out your journal. If you don't have one, get one. And write about who you want to be in three years from now. And be explicit and honest about it if you want to take a second step after you've taken that 10 or 15 minutes or 20 minutes to do that. And by the way, you'd be really excited if you defined your future self two, three years from now. And we're excited about that future. If you want to go one step further, start telling people about it.
0: That's great advice, Ben. I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for coming on. It's It's been awesome. I've been a big fan for a long time. It's always a pleasure, Chip. It's always I appreciate a pleasure. it, man. Well, listen, if you're listening and you haven't gone out to Amazon or wherever it is that you buy books and pre-ordered because this will come out before the actual release. Personality isn't permanent. I strongly encourage you to do that. It's a great book. Ben was kind enough to give me a copy in advance to, to check out before this interview. And it's a great book, not only for you, it's the kind of book that we can give out to clients to help them understand that the way that they were isn't the way that they have to be. And so I encourage you to go and check that out. You can also check Ben out on medium, lots of great stuff all over the place. All you have to do is just Google Benjamin Hardy. He's not hard to find. Appreciate you spending your time with us. And I'll be back again in a couple of weeks. See you soon. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at
1: MaximumAdvisor.com.